Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Worst cheater is the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, 11 22 Worst cheater is the words used to describe Garrett Cole by Alec Manoa. Lead story for me in my mind because I spent a lot of time yesterday thinking of another example, trying to find another example of a player active who so brazenly and matter-of-factly called out a fellow union member, a fellow player. The stage was set for an off-season appearance. Alec Manoa is a above-average starter, all-star caliber starter, Cy Young consideration for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he was doing a show with, I think, Kendrick Perkins, Coca, and was asked a very simple question, saying, hey, oh, it was uh, Serge Ibaka, yes. And was asked a, uh, thank you, Coca, was asked a question, very simple question. Who is, you know, who's the worst cheater in baseball? And when players are asked questions about other players, 99.9 times out of 100, they're going to say, ah, you know, they'll bridge to another answer. They'll say, you know, I don't really think any of us do that. Or, hey, we all do it. Or, hey, that team, I didn't like what went on in 2017 with the Astros. Or what about those Black Sox? But you're not going to get a player to talk about another player. And they're taught that in union school. One of the things when they go around spring training and meet with the players, that's what the union does every spring training. MLB does it too. They meet with each team inside the spring training clubhouse. And in those meetings, on the MLB side, they just talk about the season. They, t- they thank the players for their work, for the appearances they're going to do. They answer any questions that the players may have from a league standpoint. But the union comes in, and when the union meets with the players in spring training, all of us have to leave. We're not invited to those meetings at all. Of course, we can sit in when the commissioner's office comes, but when the union reps come, we leave, and then we try to figure out what was said just in case there's something brewing or festering that we need to know about so we would see whether the trainers heard any of it because the training room in spring training is right off the clubhouse. So often the trainers will sit in their office or they'll sit in the weight room and they'll try to listen in and then get back to us. Maybe the clubhouse manager too. Anything to get information from what goes on behind closed doors. 
But the union meetings are really about questions the players have about any dues that are owed, what their licensing money is going to be. That's the money that they get as part of a an agreement where they get their share of merchandise, let's say, that's sold. And one of the things they'll talk about is the importance of a united front, the importance of appearing to be together and keeping their eyes and ears open to any nefarious activity by management. And I don't blame the union for that. That is totally normal, standard operating for a union to be on the lookout for management that's trying to do something against the rules outside of the four corners of the agreement. The union will remind the players what their rights are, what their obligations are under the CBA. But one of the things they'll talk about as well is, hey, just remember, let's stay out of the paper. It evolved over time when social media came into existence where a lot of those union meetings, everyone would bring up, hey, here's your responsibility on social media. Keep in mind that once it's out there, it's out there. You can't delete it. And management would do the same thing with the players, but it's always more effective when it comes from players to players. So one of the things that's important is to let players know what you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. We have a sort of different take on the Miranda rights. The Miranda rights, as you know from TV or law school, is your right against self-incrimination and, hey, your right to an attorney, your right to be quiet. By the way, big lesson. If you're ever arrested, do yourself a favor. Don't say a word ever except I want my lawyer. Those are the only words you should ever say. And that's not from personal experience. That's just telling you what you're supposed to do. Every time, bar none. I don't care if you didn't do it. You don't say I didn't do it. I want my attorney. That's it. So when a player's told, please try to be careful what you say on social media because it's going to be used against you. Well, Alec Manoa gets interviewed gets the question asked and answers, oh, I'd say the worst cheater has to be Garrett Cole. And then he went on to describe the spider tack that Garrett Cole uses, not talking to you about the history between these two players. And there is a history. They have gone at it mound to mound. They've yelled in the dugout at each other. So there is definite bad blood. And not all players like each other. You know we've talked about that. There are certain times when a player will say, I don't want to play with that player. You know, Giancarlo Stanton said, you may not trade for Mike Fires because he hit me in the face. I don't want to see him every day in the clubhouse. So once in a while, a player will have the standing to say, I don't want to be around this player. Players will go to the clubhouse manager, sometimes to the GM or even the team president and talk about locker location. I don't want to be next to this guy, but I want to be near that guy. I want a bigger locker. I want an empty locker. I want to be near the door, not the toilet. So there's all sorts of puzzle pieces when you're putting a clubhouse together. There are personal agendas between players, sometimes professional agendas. But for Alec Manoa to do what he did caught my attention because of the next step. What interests me about this story is not that Garrett Cole used spider attack. We know this. Garrett Cole, the worst cheater ever, probably hyperbole. Many pitchers use many substances, many combinations of things from sunscreen to rosin to lotion to spider tack, all sorts of stuff. Fine. No problem. 
Was Garrett Cole, is Garrett Cole any worse because he played on Houston? Well, they did a good job of it, but there's many teams who do a good job of helping their players cheat. Did the Houston Astros do the best job? Maybe. Was Garrett Cole the largest uh, beneficiary of this cheating? Maybe. But what interests me more is, what is Garrett Cole doing today? Because when he found out about this, spoke to his agent, Boras, and said, what do you want to do here? Do we respond? Do we not respond? And if A, then with what? Do we respond with a no comment? Do we respond with an explanation? Do we respond with, hey, I'm not the worst of the worst. I'm the best of the worst. If I'm Scott Boris and I'm advising Garrett Cole, it's very simple. Scott would not do this because if I were Scott Boris, meaning if I were representing Garrett Cole, I would tell him that his response should be absolutely zero. You have a $324 million contract. You have a team that makes the playoffs every year. You are the number one pitcher on that team in the biggest market in baseball. Shh. Go full frozen. Let it go. Boris doesn't miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity of being verbose and ridiculously bloated in his communication skills. So Boris may say to him, hey, we're going to respond and here's what we're going to do. We're going to deflect and we're going to turn the attention onto Alec and we're going to say he who lives in glass houses should not throw coal. Right. That's how Scott talks. Right. And all these stupid, ridiculous metaphors that are non sequiturs. In this time of Christmas holiday season, it seems that Alec has been delivered a lump of coal, right? He'll do something like that. That would be a Scott Boris response. Now, if Alec Minot had done this close to the winter meetings, which are coming up in early December, where Scott Boris goes and holds court, and you will read in the media because we'll do a funny show about it, what Scott Boris says and how he's promoting his clients, again, trying to get Conforto signed and everyone else he's trying to get signed. But I just want to mention that if I am the Blue Jays, I am calling in the offseason Alec. And the reason I'm calling him is that I don't want to do anything that in any way puts a target on one of my players. I don't want my players to be bulletin board material. I don't want my players to give extra motivation to any team, especially in our division. Remember, they're division foes, Blue Jays and Yankees. I want my players minding their own business basically shutting up and dribbling. That is ideal for me when I was running a team because I want the sole focus on the field. And the reason why it deserves an off-season phone call, which is very rare, generally the trainers speak to the players to talk about their off-season workouts. The GM and manager will check in maybe with the top 10 players, maybe one time, not more than that, but they all say it. All the time, managers get hired. We saw it again this offseason. Managers get hired. Hey, what are you going to do? Well, I'm definitely going to try to get to see every one of the players. Can't wait for spring training. Don't want that to be the first time I meet them or talk to them. But, of course, it never works out. Sometimes they FaceTime a few people. But it's very hard to reach players during the offseason if you don't go to them. So that's what the trainers do and, and sometimes the gym. As a team president, the only time I would pick up the phone, and this is not an example. This is not as significant an example where I would need to pick up the phone and call the player, but I would ask our GM to do so. And the reason I would is I'd want to make sure that he understood what he was doing. 
So that's an important point in my mind is to try to talk to people about whether or not the consequences were intended or unintended. If you're Alec Manoa and you respond to the question with what you know will be a headline, I want to know what your thought process was. If you respond that you had no idea it would even make the news, I want to teach you and explain to you why you were wrong. It is hard for me to imagine that Alec Manoa did not know that he'd be creating news by calling Garrett Cole the worst cheater in baseball. By the way, he's totally right. As far as social media is concerned, it ties in very well with what's going on in Boston where you've got to be careful what you do on social media. The tentacles of the Kyrie Irving situation never cease to amaze me. It's such a problem when you have an off-court issue that involves just you and you've got to figure out how to make that work in your own locker room. But when the problem involves not just you, but you draw in other people and there's collateral damage to your actions, that's the worst kind of self destruction that can happen to a sports team. And Kyrie Irving is the definition of that for the Brooklyn Nets. Nothing but a distraction of the worst kind. Everybody's drawn into it. Everybody's got to talk about it. And the worst kind above the worst kind, which is the worst of the worst, is when your actions not just cause your own locker room to face tumultuous waters, but actually other teams' locker rooms. It's absurd. But of course, Jalen Brown is a Boston Celtic. Jalen Brown was asked about a retweet. You'd think that players, after what Kyrie Irving did with retweeting that Amazon movie from hell, you would think that players would say, hey, I'm going to verify. I'm going to do a Samson, and I'm going to send my draft to Coca and say, is that real? Is this real? What do you think of that response? I need another set of eyes, another set of ears, and another set of frontal lobes. When you just willy-nilly hit that retweet, quote, tweet button, you are taking a chance. And the chance you're taking is that the basis of your retweet or quote tweet was mud and not concrete. And when you make a decision based on mud, think about building a structure on mud, uh, it's not going to be all that stable. There's no rebar there. Jalen Brown saw a video of black people marching toward Barclays Center on Kyrie Irving's first game back from suspension and tweeted a retweet about the energy around it and how great it was that that was happening. Well, for those of you who are not aware, what that was was a bunch of black Hebrew Israelites who were marching in support of Irving and in support of what his view was about who are the Jews and who are not. So guess what? Jalen Brown didn't know that. He thought it was black people saying, hey, we are standing with our brother. 
and he thought they were part of a black fraternity. And the level of due diligence he did is he saw what color clothes they were wearing. He did a Google search. He noticed they were the same colors. And he, he assumed that's who it was. And then he got a phone call. And the phone call likely came from not Kyrie Irving, not someone in the NBA, but someone in the Celtics organization who said, hey, Jalen, um, you made a small mistake here. We're going to craft a response. Quote, I was not aware of what specific group that was outside of Barclays Center tonight. I was celebrating the unification of our people, welcoming the return of Kyrie to the court. First glance, I thought it was a known fraternity. I didn't. What does that mean? Jalen Brown had to walk back what he did because he got caught. Is that our fault or is it his fault? Is there any scenario under which you are not responsible for what you say on social media? Are you allowed to say, oh, I was wrong I didn't do the research. My bad. How many times do we hear that? Feels like almost every show, there's someone walking back something they said or did, and they say, ah, I misunderstood. Do you think they actually misunderstood? Or do you think that they didn't realize what the reaction was going to be? Why is page four of the playbook, of the walkback playbook, hey, my bad, wrong information. I was guessing what I thought I saw. Figured I was right. Wanted to be first. It's happened to me. I've had to walk back stuff. Who do I blame for that? Me. If I make a mistake on social media, in an effort to do, to be first, in an effort to have engagement, to build a following, I've gotta be willing to understand and accept the consequences. Knowing that there's gonna be a swing and a miss, but the audience wants the swing. Is there anything worse than a called third strike, Carlos Beltran? No, you wanna go down swinging. When Jalen Brown and anyone else out there walks back, ask yourself, why are you doing that? Are you walking back because you don't actually believe that which people are now accusing you of believing or saying or promulgating? Are you walking it back because your career's in jeopardy, your ability to earn money's in jeopardy, and money is a far greater source of power than your personal beliefs? Are you walking back because it's just business? I find it all to be quite interesting, and I would love for people to be able to articulate their reasons. Their reasons for apologizing, their reasons for saying, ah, oh, my bad. Jalen Brown, I'm not buying it for a minute. I'm not buying that you didn't know, didn't look, don't care. 
you're the same guy who had Kanye West as your agent and only dropped the agency after Adidas dropped him. Did you think we forgot about that, Jalen? Is this a coincidence? Are we not who we surround ourselves with? Do you not pay attention to who your friends are? Who you work with? The values of your company? Family members? Blood thicker than water? Money thicker than both? Loyalty? The thickest of them all? Blind loyalty? The downfall of civilization? Go back in history and think about all the times that blind loyalty has led to war and destruction. I don't care if it's blind religious loyalty, if it's blind personal loyalty, blind land loyalty. Blind loyalty. Everyone should wear glasses. Do you know how bad that is? Jalen Brown, you are guilty of blind loyalty and you got caught and your walk back does not resonate with me because I can see through those glasses. When we come back, we're gonna review a movie that I wanted to love more than I did. And then we're gonna talk about Aaron Judge in San Francisco. Don't worry, Yankee fans, you panicked yet? Do you think he's on a cable car right now? Although it's so early in the morning, my guess is he's night-night, having come in from a great night of partying in San Fran, getting ready to meet with the Giants. We'll be right back and talk about it all. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson. Thank you for rating and reviewing. Go in there and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can follow us on Twitter, David P. Sampson. We're doing, Coca's doing all sorts of TikTok stuff and Instagram reels and all sorts of stuff. Thank you for that. Episode 701. Where are you, Joe? Are there any directors in your life or writers where no matter what, you are going to see the movie or actors. There are many like that for me. 
I don't care how bad the review is. I'm going to watch every Mission Impossible. Coco would tell you it doesn't matter. He's going to deny it, but he won't actually. If Keanu Reeves is in a John Wick, he's going to see it. It could get a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, and he's going to see it. I feel that way about David O. Russell. Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, two of my all-timers. He has a new movie out called Amsterdam, semi-new, with Margot Robbie, Christian Bale, and John David Washington, Denzel's son. But now, when does a son escape the shadow of his father? I think the son has, right? I mean, Denzel is one of the greatest thespians of all time. Greatest range from Training Day to Macbeth, Academy Award winner. But when you've done Inception and The Black Klansman, I think, you know what? He's got his own. He's on his own. So it's just John David Washington. Remember American Hustle with Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper and Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams, right? So he loves, so Jennifer Lawrence was in that too. He, he loves the, you know, two men and a woman. And those are the stars of this. So you've got Margot Robbie instead of Jennifer Lawrence. You've got Christian Bale with Christian Bale, who if you've never heard Christian Bale give an interview, please go listen to one right now. You will be blown away by how hard it is to understand him without subtitles with his deep Welsh accent and the way he can be and speak English without an accent never ceases to amaze me. One of the great actors of our generation approaching Daniel Day Lewis territory. That's what type of actor Christian Bell is. And I do not say that lightly. That is rarefied air. Way above Cruz and all the other great actors. And I may, people may not think Cruz is, but I do. But Christian Bell, one of a kind. Sort of. 1A. Now he's almost there for Daniel Day Lewis. This movie's about a murder that takes place. And then Christian Bale is trying to get himself out of being accused of the murder. And it's all sorts of hijinks and strange coincidences and strange explanations of different places they are back in Amsterdam, New York's Amsterdam. And it's a period piece that is well-written, directed in a very choppy way, and is not worthy of being a David O. Russell film. And I was disappointed. I didn't mind the long running time because you don't mind it when you're watching Christian Bale work, who is phenomenal. I don't know that he'll get nominated for it, but man, was he good. Anything with Margot Robbie is a must-see, as you know. So I'm watching it and I'm thinking, have you ever done this with a movie? God, I want to like this so badly. And you're convincing yourself, you're convincing yourself. Or the opposite, which is I'm not going to like this. I told you when I reviewed Top Gun Maverick, I'm not going to like this, I said. And then the first 20 minutes, I am not liking this at all. And then by the end, you're like, wow, I totally like this. Well, it sometimes works the other way. I love this. I'm going to love this. Oh, no, I'm not loving it. Oh, no, I'm going to keep trying. And then the credits roll, you say, God dang it, dog it. I'd skip Amsterdam if I were you. Aaron Judge is not in Amsterdam. There is video proof that he's in San Francisco. I wonder how that works. Did he release that, Coca, the video of him at the airport? Like, was that on his own social media? Because it seems unlikely that someone would know what FBO, fixed base of operation, he'd be landing in or when he'd be landing. It's like the paparazzi. Oh, what a coincidence you're here, Kimmy.
Oh, that's true. You called me to tell me where out you were going to be. Appreciate that. So Aaron Judge lands. He's asked a few questions. Maybe he was videoed by someone he was with. Maybe it was all set up to make Yankee fans jealous or make Cal Steinbrenner crazy. Players don't care about fans being jealous, actually. But there are players who are smart to leak stuff of where they are because they want it to get out. Because maybe when you're in San Francisco, Hal Steinbrenner will call and say, listen, what will it take for you not to walk in the door? What will it take for you to cancel the meeting? If you find yourself ever using the sentence, what will it take? Just know you've already lost the negotiation. You're done. Hey, what will it take to retain you? I guess you could say it with sarcastically. What will it take for you to clean your room? Wait a minute, that means I get something for cleaning my room? Well, you're supposed to clean your room. Yeah, but you just said, what will it take? How about a dollar? How about an extra dessert? A piece of candy? Never say, never. Try to not say, what will it take? Hal Steinbrenner is not going to do that. Aaron Judge is in San Francisco right now, and they're doing a bunch of stuff for him. I always laughed at that when we were trying to get free agents. We'd try to get celebrities to cut videos. Hey, come play in Miami. And we'd show pictures of South Beach and pictures of women and absolute total misogynistic stuff, trying to show the sexiness of, of South Beach and how fun it will be for the player what there is, great places to live, where all the Pat Riley lives on, in, wherever he lives in Coral Gables, you know, Billionaire's Row, they call it, or whatever they call it. Hey, here's the Trumps, here's where they live, Ivanka and Jared. You make uniforms if the player has kids, you, do, you have interns do all sorts of information. What's his favorite charity? How many kids does he have? No kids? How many nieces and nephews? We're going to put together jerseys in the size of the nieces and nephews or of the kids. We're going to get teddy bears with the Marlins logo. We're going to have a Jumbotron video that has Aaron Judge in a Marlins uniform swinging. We're going to show how many home runs he'll hit at Marlins Park. We're going to do a bird's eye view of his commute from where he lived to Marlins Park, how great a life it would be. The Giants are doing all of that. And it doesn't mean squat at all. The players are, say to themselves, man, that was such a good, I felt so loved. Thank you. I appreciate that video so much. And the fact that you thought to get something for my wife and kids, hold on, I have a little tear in my eye. What, what do you mean you're offering five years at 40 a year? Well, that, I'm not taking $200 million. What, 50, what, oh, sorry, 50 at five? I'm not taking 250. But, but Aaron, what, we had such a great video. That's not how you get a player. All of the stuff that we do is eyewash. Never had a player say to me, you have the best offer, but I'm going a different direction because you did not put a uniform on my three-year-old. Never came up. Not one time. Farron Judge is going to be a giant. The Giants are going to have to overpay. When you want to take an incumbent away, big free agent like this, and you want to make a splash, you have to do something that is not economically viable. 
There is no way for the Giants to possibly justify an eight-year, $320 million deal for Aaron Judge. It will not pay for itself in additional revenue. It will be helpful in terms of putting him in right field in San Francisco. Will it even get them close to the Dodgers? Nope. How much does Aaron Judge care about a ring? Yankee fans. Do you think he cares enough that he wants to leave New York because he hasn't had a ring? Hasn't had a deep run, not even a World Series appearance? You think the Giants or the Cubs or the Dodgers are in a better position? Maybe. You think the tax differences, is that going to be it? Florida versus California? California versus California? California versus New York? Nah, we'll talk to the players about that. As long as you do tax equalization, they don't care. Aaron Judge knows exactly where he wants to play. And he will play where he wants to play. Because no matter what you're being told, there is a market for Aaron Judge and teams know what that market is. They know who's in, they know who's not, and they know the range and everyone's going to be in the same range. And when Aaron Judge calls up the Yankees and says, hey, I'm going to need 320, the Yankees aren't going to say, well, all I have is 290 unless they know that they're okay losing him. There are players who will say, no matter what you offer, I don't want to be on your team. Oh, sorry. There are no players like that. It's not out of the ordinary for players to do this and to bring attention to themselves during free agency. I never really liked it. Remember, uh, I love Carl Pavano, you know, very much. One of my favorite players. He went on that, uh, Yankee fans, this is for you. You got suckered in by Carla Palooza. I think the Yankees, Coca, gave him $40 million for four, but then it wasn't 40 for four. It was actually 39 for four, so he fired his agent who told him it was 40 for four. And then Carl's time on the Yankees was less than perfect. And Carla Palooza was him going around the meeting with all these teams, everyone comparing notes about what they're doing to attract the player who's coming to the meeting. Hey, LeBron James is at the pitch. Do you think that they have a video from Steph Curry? The Giants went to Steph Curry and said, listen, wouldn't it be great to have all rise for Aaron Judge? Let's get him to a Warrior game and watch the crappy team lose by 50. It's all laughable to me. What's not laughable to me, as I ponder what makes me laugh, did you wake up early and watch Argentina today? Are you setting your alarm to watch the early game, Coca, or did you sleep through Argentina's upset loss to Saudi Arabia? I meant to ask you this before we started the show, and I did not get to. Do, do people who are fans of soccer, are you just letting the world wake you up? Or do you look the night before at what time the matches are? And if you see Argentina at 5 a.m., you're going to make sure you wake up for that. Are there people who do that? I didn't have to do it because I was awake. And it just so happens that I got to watch the greatest World Cup upset ever. But I wonder if people do that. You're going to be tired if you're doing that every morning. So one thing that is not good, and we, we touched on it yesterday, is when players don't have accountability to their teammates, and we talked to you a little bit about what's going on with the New York Jets and Zach Wilson. 
And then earlier in this show, we talked about when an issue has, what's, what's the word? I'm, I'm just drawing a blank right now. When the ripple effect of the issue is that it doesn't just impact you, but it impacts your clubhouse. And then worse, when it impacts someone else's clubhouse, that's the Jalen Brown talk we did. What Zach Wilson did had such a deleterious impact on his clubhouse, such a problem between the offense and the defense and the special teams, such a lack of accountability, such a lack of leadership, although he's only a second-year player. But one of the consequences, unintended, of course, by Zach Wilson when he answered the question, are you anything to say to the defense? And he said no, is that his coach, Robert Sala, <laughs> had to talk about it because the media doesn't want to let the story go because it's a great midweek story. So guess what? He had to comment on it. And what he said was very interesting. And if you're Zach Wilson or Zach Wilson's agent, you're reading that and saying, oh my God, I think the secret's out that I'm not that good. And this is only my second year. And if I lose my starting job, I don't know who I'm going to lose it to. What, are they going to play Mike White? Great kid. Known him since he was a kid. Went to the same high school as my kids. But that's who they're going to have? When asked about Zach Wilson as a starting quarterback, all of a sudden, we're keeping everything on the table over the next couple of days. I love it. That is a Thanksgiving reference, a coach's go-to. It's on the table. Are you thinking about making a change to your starting lineup? It's on the table. Are you thinking of trading anybody or adding or subtracting at the deadline? All options are on the table. I find that some options are in the cupboard. Once in a while, there's some crumbs on the floor. I don't really know why people use the expression on the table. When you are running a business, they don't and shouldn't have to be They shouldn't have to be on the table for them to be considered. Your job is for a macro look with micro intrusions to your decision-making process. He was asked whether Zach Wilson was even starting this week. Forget like permanently. Everything's on the table over the next couple of days, but when asked specifically about this week, he said, nah, not ready. I'm evaluating everything. So I just have a question, coach. What, what, what are you evaluating? Are you looking at the video of his seven for 18 game for like 80 yards? Are you looking at the video of the second string and third string? Or are you looking at your offensive line? Or maybe you're waiting to get a call from Woody. Just curious what you think is going to change. I like that. I've always been a fan of the sleep on it philosophy. Right? When you've got a big decision to make, I'm good. Take it a minute. Take a beat. You know me with baseball. No decisions made 30 minutes after a game in the first 30 minutes. Because when you win, you're going to make poor decisions thinking you're never going to lose. And when you lose, you're going to make poor decisions thinking you're never going to win. You've got to let the emotion out. Be robotic. But what's going to change during the course of a football season? Now, you could have a GM and owner who say, hey, we cannot continue this downward spiral, if you can call a 7-3 team downward or spiraling. 
Making change for change's sake works almost none of the time. People will give you that expression. Hey, let's just change it up. Well, to what? I don't know, but just different. There's that saying, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Having Zach Wilson as your starting quarterback, game after game. What, what, what result is that? You mean the, the wins and the losses? I've been unable to pinpoint wins and losses on a specific player in my entire career, actually. When we demote players, it's roster issues. We say it's lack of performance. We want to do better. When we change pitchers in the rotation, they're not winning enough. They're not giving us a chance. They're giving up too many early game runs. You try to pinpoint a result to a player. But the truth is the way you're evaluating it is you're speaking specifically about that player. What you're saying is that specific player can be replaced with someone who gives us a better chance to win or someone who I can expect more of during the course of a game and then let the result fall where it may. But you're evaluating Zach Wilson, quarterbacks different. When you make a decision as a quarterback, who your quarterback's gonna be, whether it's a franchise quarterback or your rookie quarterback or second year quarterback, and they're the captain of your team, and I don't mean the literal captain, but the quarterback is the captain of your on-field offense. You cannot let a game change your organizational philosophy, even if it's a football game where there's only 17 in a season. If you have a quarterback who's not good enough, he wasn't good enough during the offseason when you named him the starter. Coach also had to answer, Salah also had to answer about Wilson's comments. And he reflected and told the media that, hey, it was a mistake. He'll learn from it. I like that. He said, I don't think it's indicative of how he feels about his team or his teammates. That's the coach's playbook, right? You have to protect your players. One of the things you talk to your manager about and your coach is when they're going to be in a position to say something they don't mean, but they're doing it to protect their player. We always want the coach protecting the player, the GM protecting the coach, and the president protecting the GM, and everyone protects the owner. That's the general hierarchy of protection, and it's 99.7% accurate and effective. The reason why you use protection is that you are better equipped to handle the fallout than the person you are protecting. Coaches are always better prepared to handle issues than players. GMs are always better prepared and more able to handle things than coaches and so on and so forth. So it's totally normal that he would have to say something that his player didn't say, and that didn't strike me or bother me. But him evaluating, the only time a manager says that is when they're waiting for the call from the owner saying you have no choice but to bench this player or send this player down. Because believe me, that happens. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. You know, I'm watching the World Cup. 
and, and the game's over. USA's going to win. I'm going to win my pick. We're going to go to 23 games over. And all of a sudden, there's a PK, and the USA draws. I had the USA winning against Wales, not drawing. And guess what that means? We're 132 and 111. What game am I watching tonight? I'm going to watch the Suns and Lakers. The Suns are seven and a half point favorites over the Lakers. The Lakers have been getting great play from one of their cornerstones, a guy named Anthony Davis. But the Lakers are looking up at a 12-team playoff. They're not even in the play-in tournament right now, but it's still early. But is it, though? It's been a month of the season. So I think they've played 15 games, which is the equivalent of 30 games in baseball, which is the equivalent of about a month. What do you know about your team after April? I've told you not too much. But come May, things better get better. Or change is a-coming. That's where we are in the NBA season. You are going to start seeing change over this next month as teams evaluate whether or not they're what they thought they would be or whether or not they are who they really are. And who the Lakers really are is a bad team. Sun, seven and a half over the Lakers. The Hall of Fame ballot came out yesterday. Hall of Fame ballot's pretty cool. When your name appears on a ballot, Right, let's just give you a, a, an example of a good one, right? Um, Jason Wirth is a great example. He's really psyched that he's on the ballot. It's an honor to be on the Hall of Fame ballot. Jared Weaver, Jeff Weaver's brother, he was good. Not even close to Hall of Fame worthy, not even close. But guess what? He's on the ballot. Amazing. If you don't get 5% of the votes from the Baseball Writers Association, you're off the ballot. And the majority of people don't get the 5% because the honor was simply their Hall of Fame induction was just appearing on the ballot. You don't willy-nilly. Everybody who retired five years ago is not on the ballot. This ballot, you're going to read a lot about it, is absolutely terrible. The headliner is Carlos Beltran, and he was on the 2017 Astros, as you may recall. He was fired as the Mets manager before managing a game because of his involvement in the sign-stealing scandal. I assure you, Carlos Beltran, who is Hall of Fame worthy, will not get in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. They will not, the writers, sully the accomplishments of first ballot Hall of Famers by putting Beltran in in the first ballot. Not going to happen. So there is no first ballot Hall of Famer in this group. The pressure by Major League Baseball to make sure someone gets in like they did last year with David Ortiz to make sure it's a big induction. That pressure is not being manifested in this ballot because the only player who even has a fighting chance of getting in this year is Scott Rowland, and I'm not convinced he's going to get in, and he's certainly no Hall of Fame headliner. That's not going to make your weekend. You have a better chance of making your weekend with the contemporary era Hall of Famers. Have you read about that? Totally different. That's like the vet, the old Veterans Committee is now called the Contemporary Era Ballot. And it just, we're like a week away. So we're going to cover this topic in the beginning of December. But you've got Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero and Kurt Schilling, right? That's so many needles between them. My God. Don Mattingly is included in that list. He shouldn't even be included. His name should not even be mentioned with Bonds and Clemens and Palmero. Or Schilling, for that matter. 
but all those players have a chance to make the Hall of Fame and headline anyone on that list. Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Fred Crime Dog McGriff, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmero, and Kurt Schilling, any of them are a bigger draw than Scott Rowland. So will there be pressure on the members of the Contemporary Era Committee to allow one of these players into the Hall of Fame? Because if you get voted in in the Contemporary Era ballot, which requires 75% of the members of the committee, there's like 15 members of the committee, let's say, and it's made up of MLB owners and people like that. But you're put in the Hall of Fame the same weekend, you have your plaque in the plaque room, and no one knows the difference. And those are some headline names. Do you know what the chances are of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero and Kurt Schilling being selected to go into the Hall of Fame by the contemporary era? Zero. Point zero. It'd be one hell of a story. We'll talk about it again early December when it happens. I think it's December 4th, right during the winter meetings. And they vote and they announce it right that night. So that gets announced before even the results of the voting on the regular ballot. So I guess I'm going to give you a wait to see, Coca. Wait to see is when I say something's going to happen. When it happens, we revisit it. When it doesn't happen, we revisit it. Either way, we have accountability. Nobody from this year's ballot, not one first-timer, will get selected to the Hall of Fame. Wait to see. The only player who will get even close is Scott Rowland, and he's not going to get in either. There's a chance that there will be a donut from the Hall of Fame voters. Wait to see. Donuts. The light is on. We'll be back tomorrow as we get ready for Thanksgiving. We're going all the way through Thanksgiving. Coca agreed to work. So did I. Because we like it. But tomorrow's only Wednesday. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.